0: Chapter 19. The following morning, Stella woke in room 34 to the pleasant knowledge that she had solved the Bonnie Prince Charlie mystery and bested the dragon. The brouhaha was over and done with, as long as Bellamy made good on her promise to clear Cheryl's name. Two days later, Stella knew for certain that this had been accomplished, because Bellamy had stopped by to tell her so. The girl had been unable to meet Stella's eyes through much of the conversation, but Stella was satisfied that everything was cleared up regarding Cheryl's honesty with Bellamy's dragonish grandmother, as well as with Mrs. Warren, the director of Fairmount Manor. But if everything was really going to be all right, then why was there such a heavy feeling in the air? Something was still wrong. Three days after Bellamy had cleared Cheryl's name with the warden, the care worker was still not back at Fairmount Manor. Stella shook her head. With a good half an hour remaining before the tone to sound for breakfast, she left room 34 and walked down Daffodil Corridor. With every step, her uneasy feeling grew stronger. So it was that as she made her way past the staff room, she was unsurprised to see Reliza standing hunched over in the middle of the room, wiping her eyes with the bottom hem of her yellow nylon schmuck. As ever, Stella wished Reliza would get something new for herself. Stella looked both ways. Then she stepped out of the corridor, where she was supposed to be, and into the staff room, where she was not. Guiltily, she remembered making a cup of tea in here. Eliza looked up as Stella entered the room. Oh, Stella! Her expression was tragic. I said all along that Cheryl wouldn't steal. You did say that, Stella agreed, and so did I. Now, when is Cheryl coming back? Eliza's eyes filled again. It's so unfair. Her face turned pink so that she looked prettier than ever, despite that old yellow smock. They wouldn't treat a doctor, even a nurse. Just us care workers. Stella nodded. She had been hearing that complaint most of her life. Unfair. When you spent your life teaching in an elementary school, you heard it almost every day. It's not fair. Fair, Mrs. Ryman. The whole class has to stay in because of one spitball. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. Stella, the administration, took my grade two class and gave it to the new teacher. But she tried to think of a single decision handed down in school, in life, or even in the law that was fair for everybody. Not impartial, but fair so that all parties were content with the outcome. Stella could not. Decisions everywhere were met with generous acceptance, guilty greed, victorious joy, silent resignation, but never happiness all around. In fact, if Cheryl finally did get her job back, the new girl they'd brought in to take her place, who had her own living to make, would lose out as stella contemplated fairness reliza sat down at the staff room table stella watched her do it the young care worker didn't set her hands on the table to ease the process the way stella did and nothing went crack when reliza bent her knees nor did she let out a deep breath to mark the end of the sitting procedure with youthful ease Eliza simply sat. Behind her, the sun shone through the window and struck lights from the girl's dark hair. No, the world was not fair. Stella said, You ought to talk to the director. Make her see that Cheryl must be rehired. Eliza's hands were shaking. I'd like to, but Stella... What if Mrs. Warren takes against me? She could find a way to fire me, too, and without a job. How do I stay in the country? Cheryl wasn't fired. She quit, Eliza. And your union, Stella began, but trailed off, sensing the futility of this line of argument with this particular young woman. Just then a rattle of buckets and wheels sounded outside the staff room door. Ollie stepped inside. As he made his way to the sink, she noticed, as always, how lightly he moved for such a big man. He took a mug down from the cupboard over the sink and gave Stella a quizzical look. Are you our new care worker, Stella goodfella?" Stella grimaced. Of course. I know that a staff room is meant to be private, and I'll go. Ollie interrupted. Oh, what the hell, it's good for you and it doesn't hurt us, does it, Reliza?" nice to have company in here now and then he paused as Eliza buried her face in her hands stella turned to ollie cheryl didn't steal anything it's been proven and i proved it she thought first with satisfaction and then with expanding resentment at the unchanged outcome of the case she had set out to prove cheryl innocent so that the poor woman racked with debt and up to her year ears and young children and a spendthrift husband would be rehired, and Cheryl was not rehired. Stella stared fiercely past Ollie at the row of coat hooks at the back of the staff room near the washroom, where Cheryl's blue trench coat ought to have been hanging. It had been quite a struggle, proving Cheryl innocent, and struggles have nothing to do with fairness. They are about getting what you struggle for, the reward at the end of the fray. So, it came down to this. Stella had won. Therefore, she should get Cheryl back as her favorite care worker. I tell you what, Stella said. I'm going to see the director about this myself. Ollie chuckled. You go, Stella, my Bella, he said. Stella looked sharply at him. Ollie was jovial, apparently, by nature as well as physiology, and joviality was only a hop, skip, and jump from making fun of a person. Ollie raised his mug of water to her. Stella to the rescue, he said. Was he making fun? She decided she didn't care. She turned her back on the two care workers. Eliza, so lovely and absolutely no help whatsoever. And Ollie, happy with things as they were. Stella headed down the corridor toward the office. Often over the months since she had moved to Fairmount Manor, Stella had been critical of the rambling nature of the institution's design. It seemed to her that an eight-year-old with a ruler and box of crayons could have planned a more sensible route of corridors for the convenience of residents and staff. The layout was particularly distressing if you were the sort of person who, like Stella, often found yourself standing halfway along a corridor, uncertain which was the way to your own room, and feeling like a child lost in Sears. But just now, she was glad it was a long way to the office, because she had to think what exactly she was going to say to the director of Fairmount Manor. All along the way, however, she could think about nothing except the shuffling sounds her slip-on shoes made on the corridor linoleum, and how the air was even heavier than it had been earlier she filled her lungs and nodded to herself. No wonder. Lunchtime loomed, and with it, something involving cooked celery. By the time she reached the office, she had developed no plan at all. Less certain of herself now than when she had set out from the staff room, she rested for a moment in front of the director's secretary's empty desk. How many weeks had it been since the director's secretary had retired at the end of what stella believed must have been a long and gratingly efficient career for whatever reason the secretary had not been replaced perhaps it was a budget issue or maybe somebody had finally invented a phone system that did filing but it meant that nobody barred her way to the director's door and the door stood ajar In the circumstances, there was only one thing to do. Soldier on, Stella. Pulling her back as straight as she could make it, Stella walked inside Mrs. Predita Warren's private office. Without knocking, Stella was certain that even if nothing and nobody else was behind her, surprise was on her side. The office was empty. That was fine. Investigatively speaking, Stella would lie in wait. Chapter 20. Where was she? Stella closed her eyes, trying to get a sense of place. After an unsuccessful moment, she opened them again. Gazing from wall to door, to window to wall, she gained a sense of office. Her own office? She'd always had a small office of her own behind the school library circulation desk. This office didn't look like hers. But from time to time, she would return from the summer holidays to find that workmen from the school board had redecorated her space. She didn't think much of these colors. She preferred a warm white to this spleen-like deep apricot. If she were to tack book jackets up to the walls, they would hide the worst of it. And my goodness, Stella thought, folding her hands on the desk before her, this was the first time they'd given her a new desk. It was a little too large for the space, mind you, and somebody had done a job on her usually tidy stacks of class lists and titles to reorder. These were strewn around and even had Coffee mug rings on them. She supposed the custodians must have been watching hockey games in here again, courtesy of the school cable television. Ah, well. She listened for the morning bell and for the rising rhubarb of students' voices out in the hall that meant it was almost time for class to begin. But there was nothing, all was quiet. Was it after school then? A foolish question, Stella. As if she didn't know the time, she took a few moments to straighten her desk. Sliding backwards on her rollered chair, Stella opened the top drawer. She touched the contents. These are not mine, she said, irritated with the custodians. Must have switched the drawers without checking them. I've never seen these things in my life. A shadow fell across the desk, and Stella looked up into the face of a woman she knew only slightly. For the moment, she couldn't recall the woman's name. But the woman knew hers. "'Stella, please close that drawer and come around to this side of my desk.' "'Her desk?' Stella was taken aback, but her eye fell on a black nameplate, lying knocked over among the papers.' If this were her desk, it ought to read Mrs. S. Ryman. She did her best to focus on it, but the letters shifted and interwove alarmingly. Summoning just that touch of dignity that had always seen her through the type of embarrassing situations that couldn't be shrugged off by laughing at herself, she touched the nameplate and looked up at the other woman. Is this you? The woman sighed. That's right. I am Mrs. Perdita Warren, Stella. I'm the director of Fairmount Manor. Stella nodded. Glad to meet you, Perdita. There, there followed that sort of pause that tells you something is amiss. At last the director said, not unkindly, I'd be more comfortable if you called me Mrs. Warren. Oh, my, Stella thought with a rush of relief. Now we know where we are. Fairmount Manor bloomed up around her. Of course, she said, rising. And I, too, would prefer to be called Mrs. Ryman. As you like, Mrs. Warren frowned. It's up to you to make your preferences known, Mrs. Ryman. With gentle hands, the director propelled Stella out from behind the desk. Mrs. Warren added, We're not mind-readers, you know. With a desk drawer full of things like that, you must be getting close, Stella wished to say. Manners, plus a sense of walking a fine invisible line, prevented her from doing so. The director followed Stella's gaze and snapped the drawer shut on at least a dozen, perhaps more, puzzle magazines, Sudoku, anagrams, crosswords, cryptic crosswords. The woman had to be sharp as one of Island's needles, Stella turned to leave the office. She was in the doorway when the sight of the empty receptionist's desk recalled her errand to her at last. Cheryl needed Stella's support if she was to return to Fairmount Manor, So close had she come to forgetting what she was there to do that it was almost like having the great glowing finger of God write her a reminder note on the wall Stella. Be not vague. Be sharp. Stella turned and shuffled back across the office to the director's desk. There she waited a long moment, and then another longer still. At last, Mrs. Warren looked up. Do you want help finding your way, Stella? Stella pinned her with a look. The director corrected herself. Mrs. Ryman? Mrs. Warren, I would like to know how soon we may expect to see Cheryl back working among us. Mrs. Warren took a moment, apparently deciding how, and perhaps whether, to answer her. I can't say. Not at this point in time. Her replacement has been quite satisfactory, I think you'll agree. Anger washed through Stella. She forced herself to show only calm. Her substitute, Stella corrected her. Mrs. Warren wrote a few words on the top sheet of paper. She frowned at them, then erased them and moved the top sheet to the bottom. Soldier on. Stella continued. Of course, I'm thinking of the Union Base and the trouble it may bring you. Mrs. Warren looked up sharply. Union Base? What do you mean? Ah, Stella shook her head. I worked for decades in a school system, not in a care home like Fairmount Manor. But these union bases are all the same, I believe. All they have to do to cause trouble for you is spread about a story regarding Cheryl quitting because of mental torment due to unfounded charges of theft. But, Mrs. Warren began. Stella plowed a straight line through the interruption. A story of a single mother recently abandoned by her husband, a mother of two young children, and on top of that they'll produce her unblemished record of selfless service, followed by unjust accusations. The union is just like a dog with a bone, and of course they're all in tight with the left-wing press, aren't they? Mrs. Warren sat back in her chair. She gazed at Stella without an expression. She said nothing. Stella's instinct told her to carry on. What my school district would do in such a case, Stella went on, was to put together a little package. Here, instinct instructed Stella to pause a moment. So she did. She was a teacher and a school librarian. She knew how to wait. That was certain. At last, Mrs. Warren asked, what kind of package do you mean, Mrs. Ryman? Stella inclined her head. It would include a card of appreciation. Beyond perusing the bimonthly teachers' union newspaper, Stella's knowledge of the inner workings of management and unions was limited, and she was inventing freely now. And certainly a raise, smallish if it came early uncomfortably large if the Union people became involved. Well, it's something to think about when you make that call to Cheryl. Mrs. Warren glanced at the phone. Before you get a phone call yourself, Stella added, from the Union, the press, she thought hard, and your board of directors. How nice to be able to say it's all handled. Mrs. Warren blinked. Stella said, And it would be a good thing to spread the news of Cheryl's return around the staff as well, wouldn't you say? Put a stop to any unrest? Mrs. Warren stood. I'll show you out, Mrs. Ryman. But Stella was on a roll. Great things were in the air, and something more was needed. It was rather like the time she had taken over the school spring concert concert from a faltering administrator. And she said, and by the way, could you please write down for me the number code for the front door? I'm feeling much better these days. As you see, I'd like to be able to take myself outside for a walk from time to time. Mrs. Warren frowned. One thing Stella knew in negotiations, the impetus for gain must not be lost. I know that when I was brought here, Stella could not remember who had brought her into Fairmount Manor, a doctor, a neighbor, so she hurried past that part. I was not myself. I was ill, you know, with all the difficulties in orientation that illness brings, and here a chuckle, to an old lady. But I'm feeling quite myself now, and she trailed off. Mrs. Warren was shaking her head. She said, Mrs. Ryman, five minutes ago you were sitting at my desk as if you believed it to be your own. Stella thought hard, but before she could come up with any sort of reasonable reply, Mrs. Warren went on, And Mrs. Ryman, you checked yourself in. You begged to be admitted, as a matter of fact. Let me tell you, Mrs. Ryman, exactly what you told me. Let us start with the incident where you set your house on fire. Stella's only thought made a circle in her mind. Oh. Chapter 21 Burning with embarrassment and shame at learning what state she had been in upon her arrival at Fairmount, Stella shuffled along the hallway toward Corridor Park. She tried not to think about the things Mrs. Warren had told her, how Stella had left a box of tissues on her kitchen stovetop to burst into flame and how she had wept while she pled with Mrs. Warren for admittance to Fairmount Manor. Stella rounded the corner into Corridor Park. In the row of chairs to her left, the Greek chorus sewed as hard as Odysseus's Wife Penelope in the daylight hours before she ripped her tapestry to pieces at night in order to avoid remarrying. Smart girl, that Penelope. Smarter than Stella with her former lodger all those years ago. Stella grimaced. There was another thing she hated to think about. Her long-ago lodger. Iolens looked up from her fancy work. Stella, dear. You make everybody nervous, running around like a teenager all the time. Sit down and give us all a rest, Lucille added. The nodder nodded. She pulled her small scissors from the pocket of her fleece vest and snipped Iola's threads for her. Won't you sit down with us, Isleth said, and nobody could have phrased the invitation more pleasantly than she. Her face was pleasant, her tone was sweet. So why was it that every time Iolent addressed her, Stella always felt she had been pinged in the behind by Iolent's cruel work needle? No, thank you, and she walked by the Greek chorus. She thought about walking on, out of Corridor Park, never to return. But what then? The activities hall? Bridge foursomes? Healthy movement? Never. So it was this unpleasant group of resident companions or solitude in her room. Sherlock Holmes would have indubitably have opted for solitude, but Sherlock Holmes had not just discovered that he had committed himself to Fairmount Manor Care Home for the rest of his life. So Stella sat herself down in her own chair under the skylight beside her. Thelma slumped, as she often did, with the tip of her cane between her Chinese silk slippers, her feet flat on the floor. Stella asked, Do you mind if I invade your privacy? She meant to sound jokey and even friendly, but the words hung in the ha- in the air between her chair and Thelma's. Why should I mind? Thelma answered. You smell all right so far stella rolled her eyes and tried not to laugh out loud needles darted away on one side of the corridor personal remarks on the other stella sighed as Thelma's cane moved over and somehow got in a tangle with stella's ankles stella got the cane sorted out just as the tone sounded for dinner the dinner tone stella had come to understand that it signals the nodder's great moment of the day. For now, round the corner closest to Island and furthest from Stella, he walked. Theo, with his upright posture and excellent hair, he was wearing a sweater in a shade of pale lemon that told Stella that a woman had picked it out for him. Knowing how women shopped, she thought, He probably owned a second one as well, of identical styling, but in sky blue or mint green. The yellow suited him, though. As Theo walked slowly towards Greek chorus, the nodder tucked her little scissors into her pocket and sat up in a posture of calm anticipation. Stella nodded to herself. Dignity consideration. Theo represented both these virtues in a place where Stella was not even allowed to bathe herself without supervision. In a moment, he would offer the nodder his arm and take her down to lunch. That lemon-yellow sweater of his brought to mind her high school years and a clique of handsome boys from the rugby team who wore shirts and sweaters in Easter egg tones aqua and lemon, mint green and sky blue. She had liked the look of the boy who wore aqua. She couldn't recall his name, but she did remember the way he walked right past her in the school corridor, heading for another girl, just as Theo was approaching the nodder now. And that was fine with Stella. There came a time when you no longer cared whether you were the chosen girl and maybe that was how you knew you'd grown up to be a self-sufficient woman. Or maybe not. Maybe you just got used to not being chosen and convinced yourself through steady repetition that you didn't care. Stella didn't care. At 82, she was so evolved that she would once again simply admire the composure with which Theo offered the nodder his arm. And although it was impossible to like the nodder, Stella always got a kick from the pleasure with which the nodder took Theo's arm. It might well be the closest that the woman got to happiness these days. Stella had to admit, despite her aversion to the nodder, that she appreciated the modest way in which the nodder cast down her gaze each time she accepted Theo's arm. And every time she watched the exchange, Stella liked Theo a little bit more. Eilinth and Lucille tucked their sewing away under their seats. The nodder sat up straight and ready. "'I'm blind, you know,' Thelma muttered. "'You'd think that once he had offered to take me to dinner.' Ollie or another care worker always come by for you, Stella said. She shifted uncomfortably. But I'll take you to dinner if you like. Don't bother yourself, Thelma answered, batting about with her cane and catching Stella between the ankles. But now Theo walked past the Greek chorus, past the nodder, and stopped in front of Stella. Stella. She looked up into his watery blue gaze and felt suddenly foolish and very elderly. Theo offered Stella his arm. No, really, Stella said awkwardly. I'm perfectly all right. As if she hadn't spoken, he stood gazing down at her. His calm told her that he had all the time in the world. Stella hesitated untangled herself from Thelma's cane and stood. She took his arm. Together they walked towards the far end of the corridor park. But before they had taken five steps in the direction of the dining room, it seemed to Stella that a black cloud was descending from the ceiling. It drifted along the corridor and settled over the nodder. Stella gave a mental shrug. She was enjoying the feel of her arm looped through Theo's. The nodder, for once, could do without. The experience might even improve her. Stella looked up at Theo. This is very kind of you, she said. Theo didn't answer. They shuffled a few steps further along the corridor. But along with the pleasant, almost forgotten sensation of receiving special atten- attention from the most attractive man around, no matter how taciturn and watery-eyed, Stella felt a sudden spiritual discomfort. She tried to ignore it, but guilt will have its little say. Shut up, she told guilt. Still, she couldn't help looking back along Corridor Park between The next two steps, the nodder's gaze met hers, and Stella was reminded again of the girl she had been in high school, standing with her back against her locker, watching the boy in the aqua cardigan go by, holding a prettier girl's hand. She looked back again. The nodder stared after them, her eyes dark in her closed-up face, Am I a high school girl, Stella wondered? Or more realistically, is there still a high school girl inside me somewhere? Placing her free hand on his lemon-colored sleeve, Stella stopped Theo before they rounded the corner. You have to go back for her, Theo. When he looped her arm back through his, Stella turned them both around. She led him all the way back into Corridor Park. There, she handed him over to the nodder. The two of them walked off. Stella sat down suddenly. Such an expenditure of goodwill had exhausted her. I guess you think you're some kind of hero now, Thelma said, tapping her cane on the floor. Stella sat down beside her. I don't know why I keep thinking you're blind, Thelma. Would they make me carry this damn cane everywhere I go if I wasn't? Stella's stomach rumbled. She and Thelma were alone in the corridor now, and the smell of wet pasta drifted down upon them from the dining room. Somebody must have gotten a deal on Fuselli. This was the second day in a row, or maybe the third. The Chinese invented pasta, Stella said. I think it came to Europe via Venice. Thelma said, We should have left well enough alone. One beat later, Stella said, If anybody ever listens to us, they would think we're just a couple of old crouches. Everybody's grouchy at Fairmount Manor, Thelma said. Tell whoever's listening. You'd be cranky too. We're all cranky because nothing ever changes, Stella said. But this statement turned out to be untrue. For, once on her feet, she astonished herself by offering her arm to Thelma. And, flabbergastingly, Thelma took it together the two women shuffled and clattered out of corridor park they were already late for lunch